Rupert Pupkin. He lives in a world of make-believe. Nobody can remember his name. But by 11.30 tonight, the whole world will know that Rupert Pupkin is the new king of comedy. Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, in a Martin Scorsese picture. The king of comedy. Hello, I'm Kieran Valley. This is New Favorite Movie, the podcast where I put my movie knowledge to the test. Every week I invite a guest on to talk about their favorite movie, and based on what they pick, I suggest a movie they've never seen. In the end, we see if my recommendation was successful. This week on the show, I'm happy to have someone who is an unpaid slash unaffiliated scout for the Montreal Canadiens, a new letterboxed convert, and one of 14 people that I follow on Twitter, so very exclusive company. It's Tom Costi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm really hoping that I'll be a paid anything from the Montreal Canadiens soon because they tend to like to give out big contracts and then just kind of pay people out even if they don't have a use for them later. So, you know, well, hoping to jump on that train. There's new management, so you could like sort of maybe squeeze yourself in there now. I don't know. Exactly. A whole new, a brand new generation of like big contracts that will regret. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my hope that I'm one of those, those Scott Gomez people. Well, until then, until you start working for the Montreal Until then, I'm here. I'm yeah, here. We're, we're here. We're talking movies. And what is the best hockey movie of all time? Ooh, ooh, this is good. Okay, I didn't expect, uh, I didn't expect this. You, you said, you know, it's funny. You said, test my knowledge. You said, we're going to test the knowledge of the guest at the start of, the, of your little uh, preamble there. And I thought, there's going to be a quiz? Okay. But yeah, hockey movie? Okay, well, I'm going to say that, like, I have to see Miracle again, because I think I just have, like, a pro-Canada bias where I'm, like, anything where America wins, even if it's not against uh, yeah, yeah. Canada. Yeah, fair like, enough, yeah. Nah, get out of here. The Rocket's really good. It's a really good movie. Like, I think the challenge, uh, the, the gripe I've always had is with hockey movies, unless it's, like, a really silly movie like Slapshot, really hard to film hockey in a kind of um, cinema way, you know? Like, you take baseball or something... And you're like, oh, great. Like we can easily film a baseball thing or a football because, you know, everyone's lining up before the snap and you can kind of film it that way. But the editing for hockey is just really tough to not make it look really fake. You know, you look at like the scenes in like the original Mighty Ducks and you're like, <laughs> okay, like great, great shot. Great save, Goldberg. Like, yeah, it's, really. it's, it's not exactly. I think hockey. I wasn't, I wasn't a big Goldberg fan. I was a fan of the cat, I think. Oh, well, yeah. well, she was much better. Much, so much better goalie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I think I think hockey in much the same way as like soccer, the thing that hurts it with movies is that they're pretty fluid games. Like they don't, yeah. there obviously is stoppages, but they don't start and stop the way that basketball does or football does. Mm. And so it's hard to keep that sort of like, well, this is the pace of the game. And so you, you can't, you, you, your camera can't sort of stop and focus on one thing here or there. It sort of needs to always be moving. And yeah, as it's soon gotten, as it's, it's gone, a bit it becomes better. obvious. Yeah, it's gotten a bit better. Like even on Goon, like which is a, obviously like a silly movie, um, the sequences were pretty good. And I think it's like they have some kind of rig where the camera goes on the, the camera person's shoulders, right? And they're kind of it's almost like on top of their head and they're skating with you know with the players and stuff. So I think that came about in the rocket, in that movie, The Rocket. Um, but that was like movie's pretty good. Like I thought it was a, I thought it was a cool story, obviously, like Rapper Shard, it's a cool story and stuff. And that's the one that comes to mind when it kind of hits both like film the sport well and is like important to the sport and like is a cool story. Um, but Slapshot's really good too. I mean, I think recently we we talked about our love of Paul Newman. So 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's hard to ignore slap shot. I think it's the boring answer, but maybe slap shot. I, I think, yeah, I would slap shot is just sort of classic. So you, you sort of can't have the conversation without it. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, don't know if yeah. I've actually seen Rocket, but I, I will have to oh, uh, it's track good. that down and find it. You know, well, it's a Montreal Canadian yeah. story and I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I like Goon for my money is just, I don't think I've laughed harder at a movie oh, than yeah. I did with Goon. Goon, so it's like, Goon is so much fun. That is perfect. so much fun. So, yeah. Um, but what we can do here is, we can move on to the movie that you're bringing today. And it, you know, the letterbox crowd does love it. There's no hockey in it whatsoever. No, I but don't think so. What movie are we here to talk about today, Tom? Uh, the movie uh, that I submitted to this uh, podcast was the King of comedy by uh, Marty Scorsese. So King of comedy, 80 Scorsese. 82. Uh, can you give uh, a plot description for anyone who has not seen the King of comedy? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I guess we're going to spoil this movie so I can kind of be... A, Spoiler, <laughs> I don't have to, spoiler, I have to, yeah, spoilers are welcome. We've now told everybody yeah. the movie we're talking about. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Come back. If you have, you know, stick around. Yeah, go see this movie. It's great. Um, so yeah, it was one of my favorite movies, uh, King of Comedy. Uh, so it's a Scorsese movie with De Niro. It's got Jerry Lewis in it. Uh, Sandra Bernhard, if you know her. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. Basically, it's about this person who is like, he's kind of like a wannabe stand-up comedian. He wants to become kind of a comedy legend, king of comedy, if you will. And Jerry Lewis kind of plays like this kind of Johnny Carson figure. And basically he's kind of obsessed with him, like kind of a stalker of him. And he's just really deluded into thinking that he's going to be able to win Jerry Lewis over and get him to um, help him, you know, come to stardom. And it just gets kind of darker and darker, but it's a comedy and it's, it's really, it's really dark and really funny. And it has a lot of similarities like thematically to Taxi Driver. So it's really cool to watch also with Taxi Driver if you kind of do a double header. So if anyone hasn't seen um, Scorsese, if you're not really like, familiar with this movie, it's actually a great thing to do is watch those two back to back. But the, the reason where I think it, uh, I love it so much and it's not a retread of Taxi Driver is just that the movie just takes a totally different approach and um, kind of different outcomes and different different things to say kind of about a kind of a deranged person and like kind of following that kind of a character because um, you know, what they're deranged about and what, um, as we'll, we'll talk about, like what the movie's about is, is very different than Taxi Driver, but it does have that similar vibe and, um, and I'll get into it. I don't want to talk about it right now, but um, especially Zanero's performance is the thing that makes me love this movie so much. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. Can you remember the first time that you saw it or like when you became aware of King Kong? Um... It must have been university, must have been, because that's when I watched a bunch of the Scorsese. So it would be a while, a while ago now, because we're old now. <laughs> we're not, we're not anyone, <laughs> anyone like 40 plus yelling, yelling <laughs> at us right now. Was, was it sort of an immediate, like the first time you saw it, you're like, oh man. Oh, did this absolutely. Hit me, this hit me a bit different than the others? Yeah, for sure. Like, I think, um, I think, you know, you watch Goodfellas and stuff and you're like blown away, obviously, because that movie is just on another level than, than most movies. But King of Comedy was just great, I thought, because um, I don't know. It's like you hear the plot and, you know, like a lot of stories, like a lot of movies, like you hear a premise and you think, oh, it's a good premise. But there's a thousand different ways to execute it. And there's all these different ways that it can get ruined <laughs> when you have, you know, different screenwriters or, or you know, directors or the studio gets involved in something you don't know the actors and like when you know it's Scorsese and De Niro you're like oh okay this is gonna be great 
And I think the thing that really pulls you in is, you know, De Niro's playing a very, very different character than he normally plays. And so I think in our brains, we're like, oh, I recognize this massive movie star, but like, it's not, it's not what we normally expect of De Niro. And I think it's just a really cool showcase of his range. So I think some things like that, like the opening's really good. Like the music, the music's all done by Robbie Robertson of the band. Uh, if everyone knows the band, and Scorsese did uh, the last waltz with the band. Uh, if everyone doesn't know the band called the band, <laughs> look them up. Um, but yeah, Robert Robertson uh, did all the music for this. And uh, there's the fantastic uh, title sequence. Um, both of these movies actually that we're going to talk about today had really interesting title sequences. But uh, but the title sequence for the King Comedy uh, is a Ray Charles song, Come Rain or Come Shine. And uh, can we can we go into depth about this? Is this cool time to go, or do we want to talk about this in a little bit later? I don't want to. Let's just just getting... go in. Just go in. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, this title sequence. Holy crap! It's like the best image possible. It's really interesting because actually, I'll, I'll jump ahead to the other movie for a second. So, in To Die For, which is the other movie we're going to be speaking about today, there's a lot going on in that title sequence. There's a lot of like um, what I'm assuming are like state of the art effects in terms of the way that the camera zoomed in so much. I don't know, like, I don't know how much that was groundbreaking or that was just like visually interesting, but there's a lot of effects and a lot of movement in that. But in the, the Scorsese opening, we just have um, basically, you know, Jerry Lewis's character is like leaving for the night. So there's all these people trying to get his autograph and it's kind of crazy. And um, there's another sort of, you know, stalker woman that's, that's Sandra Bernhardt is playing this woman who's, you know, also obsessed with this character and she loves him and everything. And she's waiting in the limousine for him and she like cuts his hand. I oh, know it was, no, it's De Niro cuts his hand Yeah. Um, in the struggle and he like saves him. And then he, he's able to worm his way into, uh, into getting into Jerry Lewis's limousine to like kind of escape the, the really tight crowd that keeps, you know, surrounding them and getting around. And he's like, Oh, you know, I just need a minute of your time. And, and we're talking, but, in that sequence, um, while that opening scene is going on and the title sequence kicks in, at one point, the Sandra Bernhardt's character is inside the limousine and she's like banging on the glass of the window because she wants to get outside to get to Jerry Lewis. And there's, you know, cameras flashing and the, the image that Marty, uh, Marty, I like I know him, uh, <laughs> Mr. Scorsese. We, we could be uh, a, we're on a first name basis here. This is all friends. All right, all right. So, Marty, yeah, Marty yeah. Scorsese, Marty, Marty Scorsese. Um, but yeah, so Marty's like, he freezes it on the on the on the scene of her like you know her hands against the glass and what's so interesting about it is the flash from the camera from like the press or whatever or the fans um the way it illuminates the steel image that we're fixed on it looks like the the window of the limousine is like an old tv and it would be like a tv of the time like it looked like it would be contemporary when the movie came out and her hand is like just like desperately pressed against the glass and Outside the glass is De Niro and, and um, Jerry Lewis, and De Niro is looking inside the limousine as well in the image. So it's just this perfect little picture that I'm sure was like very planned and very um, and like coordinated. But you know, De Niro is looking inside the limousine, like he wants to be a celebrity, he wants to have that life and that that status. And then you have um, that sort of like I said, that TV screen effect, and you have the other character um, just desire celebrity and desire, you know, and they're they're looking through the screen and they want to come through the screen and be be the celebrity themselves. So it's kind of a really cool way of, of using that window um, in two different ways at the same time. And, uh, and another little thing I really like is that Jerry Lewis, you can't really see him at all. He's just kind of there. So it's also kind of kind of reflects the way that they, um, they kind of observe him from afar. And, and he's kind of clueless about them until they start involving themselves in their lives, right? So 
yeah so i don't know and then you know like i said it's this great Ray charles song and it's just a fantastic little break in the chaos because the opening scene is so chaotic with all the people trying to get autographs and you know the kind of plan they have with the limousine so like it's it's really really great um i think that's one of my like i think that's probably just because it's right at the start like believe it or not this is actually answering your question which you asked like five minutes ago <laughs> but that is what hooked me is like that title sequence and everything it's like that's what really hooked me like you get a little bit of the movie you get a sense that rob de niro is going to be playing a kind of different character than he normally plays and then that tell sequence hit me and i was definitely hooked so that to answer your question that's what it was well i think like sure. you you definitely sort of nailed it like i totally agree with you that scorsese sort of loads up the themes sort of right from the jump like this is mm -hmm. going to be about fandom it's going to be about tv it's going to be about celebrity it's you know what i mean like he tells you mm -hmm. from the opening but couple it, minutes like this is totally. the journey we're going on this is what i'm exploring and so like strap yeah. in because it is going to be chaotic and you know he, he sort of primes totally. you right from the start for that yeah and like being somebody and not being somebody like i think this is a really american film like i want to say american and it's not i don't want to be one of those canadians that you know we cop out and we're like oh well, that's america we're really like we're like the exact same um but it's very american in the sense of that that attitude that that you know is prevalent in canada as well of just you know you want to you want to be somebody you want to be a star you want to make it you want to be someone of substance and like that's a very american story the american dream sort of thing so like when you look at taxi driver and it's like oh you know it's this really like kind of look at like toxic masculinity in a way and you know looking at this really you know damaged individual and his weird perception of how he's gonna you know improve society and do all this stuff where this movie is really interesting because the comment in society isn't about like how he wants society to change his the, the character is very much just about himself and about you know his own sort of um insecurities and wanting to feel accomplished and wanting to feel like he's somebody and then when you put him in that like gritty new york um scenery which oh which is another thing we got to talk about is like the clash are in this movie i don't know if you know that you, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah did you know that yeah there's all these there's all these um great great things in the movie with that like i love how like the the payphones don't work and things like that and i think like you know um i'm trying to think of a movie um okay this is kind of a strange movie to bring up because i haven't seen it but like the pursuit of happiness like okay. that kind of a vibe or you're like you know you're like struggling to make it and you're gonna do it you know what i mean like that kind of a vibe is not what we have here and that's what i love i love that he's he's very much in the the scuzzy like dirty Times square like lou reed element but he's got this little bow tie on and he's trying so hard to to join you know this perfect you know this like glamorous showbiz sort of world and I just think that's so great because it's not just that he's like, oh, he's in the city. Like, no, he's in like New York City. Like he's really trying hard to, to get there. And like, and it's cool. Like, I like that. Like he's, like I said, he's different than his normal characters, but you know, De Niro isn't like, he isn't, he isn't like untough. Like, you know, he has some toughness to him, but I like that he's so low status. Like there's the constant joke, like in the movie, right? His name is uh, Rupert Pupkin. And it's like, okay, Mr. Pumpkin, like, you know, they're always, yeah, yeah. They're always getting his name wrong. And he, oh, Pumpkin, it's a P-U-P-K-N. You know, he's, he's got this great low status energy, but, but what's fascinating to me about it is it's not just that it's like, oh, look, like De Niro's playing a loser. Like, you know, like we see that in like Jackie Brown, like De Niro plays a really low status character like that. But the difference is in this movie, De Niro has this like, this unflappable confidence so like everyone just treats him like shit. Like no one treats him like anything big, obviously. And 
you know, there's a lot of disrespect and people kind of get his name wrong and they overlook him and he has to speak up to be heard, but he's just driven and he's got this crazy drive to just, you know, make his dreams come true. And I think it's cool that the movie kind of does a good job of putting him right in the middle of like, he's not obviously a great comic and obviously a bad comic. And you're like, well, it's okay. And it's like, it's not about that. You know what I mean? We don't want the, ta- like, do we, do we want the talent to excuse it? Like, I think that was a really good choice to not make it a thing about like, well, but he's really good. You know, he's a weird guy, but he's really good. So as an audience, we kind of want to see him succeed. It's like, we don't know whether that's true. And so it's just, it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't know if you felt that way. I think like you, you called it confidence. I think I would tend to call it delusions, but well, that's where it's coming from for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah like he, he certainly is playing this character that I think he realizes he knows he needs to be sort of overly polite in certain situations. And so mm-hmm. that's where the whole name thing comes in and that keeps coming up for him, keeps coming up for him. But the whole thing, I think like he's just completely deluded into thinking he is very good. And the little comedy that we do see from him throughout the movie is like, yeah, it's not bad. And like, if he went to clubs and he, you know, worked on it and worked on it, worked on it, which is what mm-hmm. Jerry Lewis tells him to do, he probably would get very good. Like he seems to have a timing. He seems to have a rhythm, mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. also like uninterested in doing that. He wants to immediately start by going from mm-hmm. his mother's basement to mm-hmm. Jerry Lewis's TV show. And so like, mm-hmm. But but that is where I think De Niro's performance is so important because he keeps, like, with me anyways, he kept my sympathy the whole time, even though I was there saying, mm-hmm. like, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. But because he is so good and De Niro is so talented, like, he keeps your sympathy, even though you're like, this guy is losing it. He's mm-hmm. going nowhere. But you kind of keep cheering for him. And then things get really dark really quick. And you're still yeah. sort of like, oh, like, but I, I kind of want him to succeed. I kind of want him to yeah. pull it off. And well, it's it's one of those things, right? Where like he has a plan, and they like the plan went pretty well. So like you're kind of like you kind of want to see it go through, just because it's that's more interesting, right? Than the cops catching him or whatever. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, and I and I think too, like I think to your point about him. Um, keeping our sympathies i think that really works because of masha like because of um sandra bernhardt's character yes because she has this you know she has this like sexual obsession with jerry lewis like where rob de niro is is just wants to be jerry lewis and i think what's cool about that is like she kind of deflects some of our like oh my god what a weird person like he's not the lightning rod for all that energy in the movie which i think is cool because you know i believe you know you believe that he doesn't actually want to kill Jerry Lewis when they when they kidnap him. You know that he doesn't actually want to harm him. He's just like, I tried. I went to the office. Like, you didn't listen to me. You know, that's you remember when he gets arrested at the office or yeah. they, they kick him out or whatever. Like, you know, he's like, I try to follow the rules. And he has that kind of like, I'm going to snap kind of moment. And um, it's you can see that he's still very focused on his goal. He isn't like out for revenge with Jerry ever. So I think that's what's really cool is he. Um, he maintains that sort of purity when it comes to what his, his goals are. And it's not like, oh, well, they rejected me and now he's out to kill them. It's like, I like that, that, that change, like you said, it gets so dark, but I like that it doesn't, his tactics don't, or his, um, not tactics, his, um, his goals don't change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, yeah. I think, yeah, I completely agree with you that she, like her performance is so important to De Niro's performance. Like De Niro's doing his own thing. Mm. He, he's going to be sort of good mm. regardless, but it's mm. because she is so crazy from the very beginning she's fantastic yeah she's incredible but 
you're sort of like, well, he's not her. So maybe mm-hmm. he is harmless. Like, yeah, he has delusions. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, he thinks he's better than he is or all this sort of stuff, but he, at least he's not her. Like it could be worse. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then it, it does get worse. But, yeah, but yeah. Like, at least at least for two thirds of the movie, you're sort of like you can still be on his side a little bit. So yeah, and and their dynamics great too, like so great. I like that they're not like a crazy couple. I like that they're just like friends, and they're like fighting over like custody of Jerry. Like, oh, I had him. Like now I'm doing this with Jerry. Like, <laughs> you already did this with him. Like it's my turn. And uh, and it's a little thing, but just the fact that she's like some rich New York person, and that's kind of like helps explain away some of the like how did they get money for this or that or like what did they you know what i mean like i think that's a really yeah. um subtle subtle but important thing that i think makes the movie make sense and it isn't just you know just a cool story like it actually it's like oh okay like that but that's that's uh that explains it for me but yeah like oh my gosh king comedy it, it's incredible i i think the real the real joy of it is just is just seeing jerry lewis like who who i'm not like i'm not a jerry lewis fan like i don't i haven't really seen any of his movies and like i really own jerry lewis like kind of just via like pop culture osmosis and um i thought he was fantastic in this movie he obviously knows what it's like to be like a big celebrity and i'm sure like in his heyday like so many people are are shouting one-liners at him and, and things like that so he sells his frustration and annoyance so realistically well i read i read somewhere in you know, this could be true, could be not true, who knows. But apparently the character that he's playing in the movie was supposed to be named something else. But he has mm-hmm. so many of those scenes where he's just walking along the streets oh, of New York. Yeah, and so yeah, he yeah. told Martin Scorsese, like, change my character name to Jerry so that people will yeah. yell Jerry at me and you can get reactions just by that's filming so the brilliant. Street. Yeah, like, that's that one of is the incredible. Part. And the woman, that woman, she's like, I hope you should get cancer. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. how, how scripted or unscripted some of those scenes are, but that scene yeah, that yeah. came up I was like, Jesus Christ. That was zero to 10. But yeah, no, that was, that's a brilliant, um, brilliant, brilliant choice because yeah, they got so much raw. And like I said, like you got this like really authentic New York feel to it. And like by being able to do things like that and have those kinds of opportunities, um, you just get that authentic feel that like you can't really duplicate. Even if you're shooting on location, you know, you want, those ordinary people like those construction workers are like yeah screaming at him like that's awesome like yeah i thought that was that's a really good point that's i think a, I, that's a really good part i think that's like you know i was a bit on the fence as to whether or not you know this might have been a scorsese version of a comedy but i was on the fence of whether or not it was a comedy mm-hmm. um until sort of things like that started to happen and then you're like oh no he knows exactly what he's doing like this is definitely yeah, yeah. he is and making jokes poking fun this totally. is all comedy it's it's that's the thing it's like there are a few things that are like there's like dialogue based jokes where you're like oh that's funny like that's like you know like mr pumpkin and you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of good um exchanges but i thought um, especially when he's not being taken seriously like you know the kind of sarcastic lines that the um security guards would say to him you know sh- sh- throwing him out of an office and things like that like things like that are really funny because they just we as an audience understand that obviously De Niro's character is going to be more important than the world views him, right? So it's fun to see him, you know, it's going somewhere and to see him kind of slowly get crapped on by the world is really fun. But I, I think a lot of the comedy is just like in the situation, like I said, like, you know, Masha and, and, and Rupert kind of fighting about, you know, who gets to have time with Jerry and just like their whole kind of bickering sibling-ish rivalry kind of um, relationship is really funny. 
And I um, also like the, it's, yeah, it kind of flip-flops between me, but his, his like fantasies, like his outright fantasies are very funny as well. Well, okay. Like so the, I, I, have an, like I, have an, I have a note funny. about those. I have a note about yeah. those. And so yeah. like those for me went sort of like hand in hand with the delusions, obviously. Right. But mm -hmm. Scorsese just like holds on those fantasies for just like that second longer where it does for me anyways, tip into like oh i'm really uncomfortable now <laughs> like yeah oh yeah 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 deeply deeply uncomfortable so <laughs> yeah i go from like kind of like grimacing to laughing to grimacing to laughing yeah yeah yeah, yeah totally especially but, when he's like he's like showing off his like autographs and stuff i know that's not part of oh the fantasy, yeah but just his like just the way that he's so like they're gonna she's gonna love this it's me it's my it's my <laughs> autograph oh god like yeah. The uh, so we we talked about it a little bit like you'd obviously been you know familiar with some of most of Scorsese's work until then. I'm I'm just curious is like the '80s you know they're being sort of reappraised Scorsese's '80s mm -hmm. movie, but like they weren't mm -hmm. that successful at the time. So mm -hmm. I'm still just you know interested in in sort of the King comedy being your favorite of scorsese mm -hmm. stuff because i don't know if uh too many other people would necessarily go that direction especially with taxi driver and stuff in the 70s and then goodfellas in the 90s but yeah you know, it, i mean is, um he, he had an interesting decade that's for sure yeah i mean that's the thing right i mean the the classic you know mistake people make with scorsese is that like oh he only makes gangster films and you're like what what like you know like yeah just not true so i mean you know when you have goodfellas and you have I, it was really tough. I almost picked Casino. So I really, I have a real soft spot for Casino. I, uh, I recently described Casino as a quote unquote cozy movie to my partner. And she was not happy about that. She was like, how can you describe it as cozy? And like, because it's like, it's like three hours and I've seen it like 18 times already. And I can just like put it on and every scene is a gift. And like, that's kind of how I feel about Goodfellas. Like, I'm not trying to say Casino is better than Goodfellas, but Goodfellas has like people often compliment the fact that like every scene in Goodfellas is a classic. Like yeah. every scene is interesting. And like mm, Casino, maybe there's a few that that like probably fall short of that mark, but it's largely that. Even the scenes, like, you know, they're just memorable. Like even the scenes in Casino when uh the um they're talking about the government agents surveilling them for so long that they have to land their plane because they ran out of gas. <laughs> Do you remember that? Like I, I haven't like, seen I haven't seen Casino in a few years, but oh, it's so good. But it's like it's so consequential. But it's just you know, it's just showing you know where they're at in the story about you know the law coming closing in and everything. But just things like that. It's just like those things stick with you. So I think yeah, I can see your point. Like King Comedy obviously isn't the first movie you think of, but it's so well done and the ending is so great. Like I, I had a note here that the fantasy sequences are they're surprisingly early. I was surprised by how early he introduced them, Yeah, which is cool because, you know, at the very start, we kind of have to just go off of what Rupert says. He's like, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm an aspiring comedian. I'm doing all this stuff. So, you know, we, we track that he's, you know, he's kind of naive and he's green and he's nervous. And he, he obviously is more or less what he says. He is a, an aspiring comic, but we don't know, you know, if he's good, we don't know what his deal is. So, you know, we start on that, which is good because then we can just meet Rupert, but then I was surprised how quickly it went into the fantasies, but then I thought it worked. Um, it made sense because it establishes, you know, how far gone he is, but it also sets up that ending sequence perfectly because without it, like the audience isn't going to question whether the news report and Rupert's new TV show are real because it's like, 
there was some there was some pulling away to to similar things and they have that similar kind of um i don't know how to describe it but just the kind of it's almost like grain like it just you know it looks like something that's being watched on a tv screen yeah 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 and like the music's really strange the thing that um that i'm actually curious about and i don't know if you can shed any light on this but when he has his own tv show at the end and we're kind of watching you know in the the announcer keeps saying rupert popkin right and like it's kind of weird because he keeps saying it over and over like that for me is a clue that it's a fantasy but the other thing that makes me think it's a clue uh, or it makes you think it's a fantasy the other clue is like the music is really strange for the for the talk show that he apparently has right it's really strange music but then i'm like oh wait it's 1982 is this just 80s music <laughs> that like they've you know they you know they've gotten rid of like the horn the horn section of the 70s and they've <laughs> they've got something a little more electronic because it sounds like it sounds almost like vibraphones or like synths or something you know i i if i i'm sure somebody's broken down that ending and like you know as far as they can go conclusively said if it's real or if it's a fantasy i 100 think it's a fantasy i think i, I think so yeah. too yeah i think i, I think, think it's hard basically i think start. everything from when he enters the bar at the end of the at the end of the movie and turns mm -hmm. on his performance i think that's the beginning of like the fantasy i don't even think that performance goes oh. as well as the movie implies that it goes because when when scorsese pushes in on the tv and all we see is the tv and we don't sort yeah. of see anybody else around the TV or anything mm. like that. In my head, I'm like, oh no, this is 100% in Rupert's mind. He went on the show, he delivered his, you know, five minutes of comedy or whatever it is. Right. But like, yep. there, I do not think it went as successful as he thinks it does. And the the reactions to the people in the bar are ambiguous enough that they don't sort of tip one way or the other. Like the one guy is like, oh, I can't believe that was you, but like. He doesn't say that was good or not. He's just like surprised mm -hmm. that it was mm -hmm. Rupert on the TV and now Rupert's in the bar. Yeah. But yeah. And then like, you know, mm -hmm. all the cops are sort of like, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty dismissive of it. So I think that's the beginning of the fantasy ending. And then, yeah, when he gets his own TV show at the end, just mm -hmm. straight fantasy, like that is not real. Okay. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a good theory. I should, I want to look at it again because I want to, look at what you're talking about about it pushing in onto the tv because i think that's an important clue the only thing i'll disagree with i think i think what happens is he does do a show like you said i think he does get some attention but it's more because of the circumstances and i think he does have like a 15 minutes of fame but i don't think that it's it would last like him getting out of prison like he's not going to be able to do anything with it i think it's no. going to be something where he's a novelty so i i don't know yeah i don't know where the fantasy starts but the ending, yeah. The ending is definitely just too weird. It's just shot too weird. The lighting is weird. But I'm like, it, like honestly, I was like, is this just like an 80s thing? Like, I can't tell. So that was the only thing that kind of tripped me up because I didn't have the kind of cultural markers to nail that down. But the movie is just fantastic. Like, it really, I think it's really great that you see him really carry out the plan and he does perform because if, if you, you know, you, you had to eventually show him perform at a decent rate. And, oh, oh, another question about the fancies. I need to ask. Is his mom alive? Oh, um, I actually didn't. He think, says that she's dead. Yeah. She's. He says that she's dead in the act. If you I remember, he's. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. Um, yeah, when he's doing his comedy act, he's like, he says something about his. He has a joke about his mom, and then the punchline is like, "What do you care, mom? You've been dead for six years." And you're right. Like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, thing. that'd be a good. Uh, that'd be a 
pretty good theory, I think, as well. Like, it would certainly explain quite a bit. What's cool is, like, if she's not dead, that's a really weird joke for him to make anyway. Oh, yeah. Right? So, like, that's that's what I like. Is like, the movie did a great job of, like, we get the character. We get what he's after. We get what he doesn't like. Like, we get why he's doing everything. I think it's really cool, too, that um, I'm forgetting her character, but the lo- uh, the name of the character, but the love interest. Her character, like, you know, you can tell that he likes her. He does like her. And whatever weird hang up he has from high school and, you know, she's like this, she's kind of like the, um, you know, similar taxi driver, like this obsessive, you know, this pure figure or whatever. What I like about that is like, that's separate to him wanting to be a comedian. I don't think he's doing it for her. I think like, yeah, he shows her the thing at the end, but it's because I think his mom isn't alive. And I think she's the only person that he actually has that he could show his work and have them be proud of him. You know, I think that's what he's after, but I don't think it's like she said like, oh, I love comedians. And then he was some, you know, kind of warped guy who got obsessed with like, I'll be a comedian, then she'll love me. So I just think like, there's just, you know, so many good choices in this movie. Like I said a little while ago, like you can go so many different ways with this premise. Like, oh, this guy wants to be a a comedian and he's going to kidnap this established comedian. And like, obviously people who are supposed to be funny and then it's going to be like kind of a, a, a creepy dark movie, like, that sounds great, but there's so many ways that this could have been done that could have sucked. And I'm just so happy that it's a Scorsese movie because it is fantastic. I'm glad you brought the love the love story, the love angle, love interest, whatever you want to call it, because that mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. the only part of the movie that I just cannot get on board with. Oh, yeah. And I can understand 100%, like you said, I can understand Rupert's motivations for wanting to be with this woman who you know we're, we're led to believe was sort of like the prom queen sort of you know high school hottie or whatever and he was obviously right not a very popular person had no shot with her in high school and i think mm-hmm. you're right in that she probably didn't give him the motivation to become a comedian but he is certainly using his you know delusional celebrity or or you know he he thinks he's going to be a celebrity and therefore mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. going to take his shot because now he is worthy or you know like has totally. something to offer her but mm-hmm. like i just like could not buy that a woman like her would be anywhere at all interested in a guy like rupert especially after some of the dates that he brings her on where you're just like no there's no way this woman is calling this guy back there's no way yeah. he's getting another shot. Um, yeah, I think you, you, I think like that's where we see kind of like in it mirroring real life about kind of how women like kind of get coerced into things and roped into things by guys who just you know they just like wear them down and they just like <laughs> grind them down and like I think that's uh, I think that's what we're seeing right like I think it's just like she's kind of she doesn't feel like she can say no to him and you know he is kind of I probably a little intimidating so like I think it like yeah I think it's it's hard to believe but I could see it happening. You, uh, I, I don't think that she actually likes him. You know, you know. you haven't seen Joker, have you? No, I haven't, and I'm so glad that you didn't make me watch it for this podcast. Yeah, so like <laughs> the, the the whole love story part in Joker was another. Like, I was actually quite surprised watching King Comedy this time, how much seemed to have been lifted to make Joker. Like, you know, whole scenes, right, whole plots, right. and I was just like, oh god, okay. Like, they really didn't try here at all to make this almost mm-hmm. a no-no copy, but. I do specifically remember being in the movie theater for Joker, watching it. And then like the love story part comes on and 
I remember sitting there being like, this better not be real. Like there is no way <laughs> this woman is at all interested in, you know, Joaquin Phoenix's character. There's no friggin' mm-hmm. way that this is real. And so, you know, it goes on and on and on. And we get two, three, two scenes, three scenes, four scenes of them. And you're, at the whole time, I was just like seething, being like, they're not <laughs> serious. And then it Ugh. thankfully turns out to be a delusion. And I was like, okay, thank God. But like, you know, you were pushing yeah. it there, but yeah, yeah. really? Wow. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, for the, for the purposes of this podcast, Joker, I think would have been the easy recommendation for you, especially for this movie, but I really don't enjoy it. So I was not looking forward to seeing it again. Yeah. Well, like, um, yeah, I'm just not really interested in comic book movies at all right now. So it's just, you know, I don't, I did want to dip my toe in that. If this is going to be, uh, what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I thought um, I thought To Die For was a great choice just because, um, well, we'll get into it in a bit, but just because it was very different than King Comedy. And I think what's cool about this is just that, you know, the movies should be similar and thematically similar and they should have some connections. But, you know, it's it's hard to take a movie and just pick another that you think is going to be like as good. You know, if I said Goodfellas, you got to pick a movie that's going to be related to Goodfellas more than a movie that's as good as Goodfellas. Right. So I think yeah. And I think like I have I have some I have some I have some things to say about to die for that uh, that we're gonna get into but we we um, we can get into it we can get into it. any any last any last thoughts on King of Comedy any anything that you did say want, that you want to say um well mm, I could talk about King of Comedy for hours <laughs> which is why I picked this movie I think ultimately I think King of Comedy deserves to be thought of as one of Scorsese's best because and actually I'd say one of the best Scorsese De Niro collaborations just because I think they explore some territory especially through De Niro that kind of covers things in a different way that that um isn't a repeat of Scorsese and again Scorsese kind of um bucks the idea that that he's repeating himself I think it's I think it's a really cool movie that really um talks about kind of our perception of of you know who is worthy and who is not worthy and like what people think they need to do and like to, to in order to become worthy like i have a i'll do a, i'll do a one last little um tangent here and then we'll move on to to die for it but i think the thing that uh, i like about the king comedy is it touches upon this 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 concept that i think about that's like you know people only want like the best of the best we only want like the best singers so we get mad at anyone who wants to sing and they're not the best and so it's this weird thing where it's like if you try to be someone if you try to kind of like um stand out you know, you're making yourself really vulnerable in our society and anyone who can weather that and succeed in spite of all these people trying to tear them down, suddenly they're worshipped as like a celebrity. It's like you have to get over this threshold. And so I think it's just so interesting to to see people like struggle in the way that they did, because like you said, like if he listened to Jerry Lewis's character, he could probably become a comedian. Like he's not like terrible and he could like learn from other comedians and like really understand what it's about. But for him, it's not about him becoming a comedian. It's that he thinks that being a beloved comedy legend is like this great life that he wants. He wants to be beloved that way. He wants, he wants the attention that he clearly didn't have as a kid or whatever. And, um, and like that just makes a lot more sense than him just wanting to be great at what he does. And I think that's a really important distinction. And I think it just makes the movie. I think it's like, it definitely is a character study, but like the story's great. Cast is great. The setting's great. It's um, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Well, one of, one of your favorites in my research do you know who else's favorite it is? Who? Nicole Kidman. So with, with, with oh, that, wow. With that, we will be back in a minute and we're talking about to die for. 
television. You're not anybody in America unless you're on TV. Was a chance she would die for. Have any of you actually ever been on television before? Huh? To be a star. You gotta be able to do things that ordinary people wouldn't do. Was the opportunity she would kill for. We're back. We have watched to die for. Tom, first things first. Can you give a plot description to anyone who has not seen to die for? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. All right. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to be concise here. Uh, Nicole Kidman. First off, no, first off, this is based on a book. Um, so the structure is really interesting. We're going to talk about the structure a lot in the next little bit. But basically, Nicole Kidman plays this sort of uh, ambitious uh, person who wants to be on TV. Um, somewhat, you know, similar to De Niro's character in the last movie we talked about. But the difference is, it's kind of just like this relationship about being the one on TV. Like, I thought there's a lot of uh, direct reference to the camera. And I think a really good summation of, of Nicole Kidman's character, she says something along the lines of, everyone knows that people act better when they're being watched. So if you're on TV and you're being watched by everyone, that automatically makes you a better person, which I thought obviously was crazy. And I was like, whoa. So um, that's kind of her vibe. And basically we kind of work backwards and uh, we learned that she had this, um, she had this marriage. We it started the movie with her husband's dead. She has this newlywed husband and there's this tragedy and he's been dead. Uh, he's been killed or something. And um, so we're trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, everyone's kind of being almost interviewed by the camera and they're, they're giving their thoughts on the relationship and what went wrong. And so throughout the movie, you kind of unravel what happened um, and you see everyone's perceptions of what happened, but it takes some twists and turns. And um, uh, the husband, Matt Dillon, who is without a pork pie hat. So I was messed me up. I, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for Matt Dillon. And uh, Matt Dillon had like season one Sopranos energy in this movie. But yeah, basically the movie is just about her um, trying to get her way and trying to become a sort of kind of like a celebrity journalist broadcaster sort of uh, sort of thing. And uh, she has that sociopath vibe. I don't know if it'd be psychopath or sociopath, but Nicole Kidman has this vibe where it's like she's incredibly ignorant about the way a lot of like things work. And I guess certain social things work. But what she knows, she knows really well. And she's just like, she can like cheat code certain things. Like she can just cut through all the, all the crap and just get what she wants in certain ways. But other ways she's like, you know, she can be manipulated. So I thought it was a really interesting movie. Um, I think that like, that's the best I can do with that. I don't know. Is there anything I should add to that? Because I think the, once we start talking about the, the, the way it's told, then I think you start to get a better sense of the movie. Yeah. I think, I think we can, we can kind of get into it. Like we've, You've talked about it, and I think up front, anybody who wants to check this movie out needs to be told. Like it is a non-linear story. We do jump forwards and backwards yeah. in time, and we're we're told things at the very beginning of the movie that don't yeah. then happen until the very end of the movie. So you know what's coming. Um, I you said it was based on a book. The book is actually based yeah. on a real story. Um, yes. Okay. Yes, because I was I was saying I was talking about this movie to someone uh, just in the past few days before we, we recorded this and someone said oh i think that really happened uh, yeah you know we'll get into what happened but they're like oh, i think it really happened i said oh it must have been based on it but i'm curious though about the book um did the book have the structure that we're talking about or was that an invention of the screenplay oh i don't know that i've never read the book okay so i, I don't know about that but um yeah i think as far as the movie goes 
I think I'll be curious to hear your thoughts, but I think the nonlinear story works for the movie because the story is already famous. We already know what the ending is. So, mm-hmm. you know, the ending isn't necessarily a big surprise when it come when it happens. Mm-hmm. And so you if it's not going to be a surprise, you might as well tell us up front. Well, it's coming. You know, it, it this is yeah, what's going to happen. Yeah. I think that's definitely like um definitely interesting for you to say because I didn't find out about any connection to a real life event. So like I said, I talked to that person. So I I was very confused by the structure. I was like, why do we need this? This seems really, you know, super, uh, superfluous. And like, you know, I think the, um, <clears throat> sorry, I think the, um, I just think the, uh, the structure, like there's points in this movie where the way they were telling the story worked really well. And I thought there were times this, this movie where I'm like, this is like a fever dream, what is happening? I thought that it was really hit and miss. And I felt that the the reasons that you're giving make a lot of sense hearing that now. Then like, yeah, okay, you got to tell the story in an interesting way because, you know, everyone kind of would probably know the most exciting part of the, the story about like, you know, what happened. But I just thought like, uh, the other element that we haven't really mentioned that we should say aloud is that like Joaquin Phoenix and like all these like stoner, like burnout kids, like these 80s kids um, are the ones that end up killing the husband. Because yeah. they're also obsessed with her. And I thought that was so interesting, too, to compare it to King Comedy. Because King Comedy, we have, like, you know, like, Max, like, two really deranged people in that movie. But this, there's, like, five. There's, like, five different people who are really, in, in varying degrees, right? Like, even the husband, even Matt Dillon's character is very set upon this idea that she's going to have his kids. And they're going to be this traditional family. And they're going to do all this stuff. And obviously, that doesn't, you know, say what you want about Nicole Kidman's character, but obviously that wasn't something that she was interested in doing, right? Like she was pretty clear that she wanted to have a career and be a professional person and all that. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I thought the um, I thought the structure was just really strange. So yeah, if that was like a, a, a screenplay choice, then that would be interesting. And also Buck Henry wrote the screenplay, is the teacher as well. I don't know if you're familiar with Buck Henry. No. Not really. Anyways, the name does sound a little familiar. Yeah, I don't really know too much about him. He's a comedian and stuff, um, but he was the original. He was the inaugural SNL host. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's hosted SNL. Uh, he hosted SNL like a bunch of times. So he was kind of, um, I think he was old then. <laughs> so I think by this movie, he's, he's probably pretty old. But yeah, but he was like a, uh, he's been around a while. So I saw him like, oh, Buck Henry screenplay. I'm like, this will be pretty good. Um, also, <laughs> I got really excited just for the credits. Let's go back into the credits. Um, first off, first off, did you notice that the credit sequence had its own director? No. Okay, if you go back, it says title sequence by Pablo Ferro. Okay, the, so, like the the title sequence is all like the newsprint and like the yeah sort of yeah, documentary yeah, yeah. of of what's happened, right? So it's 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 the editing of all that. Yeah, they cut all that together, but they also do this thing where they have those sorts of. Um, it looks like, you know, it's like an like a, a image on newsprint, like on a newspaper, but they just keep zooming in. And eventually you're seeing like the dots of the newsprint, like it, it had this effect and it would zoom out again and kind of change it to something else. Um, it wasn't super CGI, but it definitely was some kind of effect. And I think that's why they had the separate credit for this person, because it was probably something that, uh, what's his name? Gus Vincent, is that his name? Yeah, yep. that's his name. Yeah. He probably couldn't do or something. I don't know. But it's funny because, you know, I don't think you ever... Excuse me. I don't think you ever really see that other than like maybe a James Bond movie where they have like a crazy title sequence. It's like title sequence by, you know. Yeah, I know. Like the the only one who sort of comes to mind, I know like David Fincher, I think takes 
real pride in his credit sequences and like all of them are mm. so interestingly done but yeah you're right like it's not necessarily something a lot of filmmakers spend too much time on like you know yeah. most of them seem yeah. pretty happy just to put the text over whatever image is on the screen already so uh, yeah. for, so for, for these two movies right? to be doing that yeah exactly for for these two yeah. movies to have that sort of interesting connection right but mm-hmm. and and it's interesting too just because like i think it's interesting that we have one movie from 1982 that you know what you're kind of seeing in the static image uh, in that title sequence is like what looks like you know it could be a television screen but i think it's just kind of interesting that we have a movie made like you know a decade later in 95 and um it's a newspaper kind of motif which i think is just kind of weird it's almost seems backwards right you think it would be the opposite you think television would be a, a greater prominence but then again she is a broadcaster but but yeah i don't know i thought the tele sequence was great i thought it was like it was interesting it was definitely like i don't quite know what's going on but i think they kind of just immerse you in the story and like and now knowing that people kind of knew this as a real life story i could see why they jumped into it so quick yeah because that's the thing that like i was like okay whoa okay we're not in sequence like, okay this is non-linear like i can i can deal with that that's great but then everything was just happening so quick and then like they introduced the element of um, Matt Dillon's family having like mob connections like so soon. And like, I understand that obviously like at the end of the movie, like that becomes something of importance, but it was just such a, um, there's, there's a thing, um, there's a thing, I took this uh, comedy course and they were talking about one-liners and they're just saying that, you know, when you're trying to make a joke about whatever, like let's say Donald Trump or something, you want to pick out, you know, what you're actually making fun of and just make sure that you don't accidentally include you know like a second thing about donald trump that you're not talking about because you don't want anyone distracted by that so that they focus on what you're focusing on um and they call that a flag so it's like oh that's a flag because you're like yeah you could tie in this other thing but then you're not getting this like efficient joke to do that so like i can see um i can kind of see how that relates to the movie in the sense of just like trying to keep things slim and trying to keep things focused but it was really tough to to figure out what was going on at first because there was so much um so much like so many elements being introduced at the start and so i was like okay whoa they're part of the mob like is that going to be a thing and like i get that they kind of have to check off gun that but it, it did throw me off for a little bit but like right. i said like once once you get into the story it's like oh okay i understand now like okay this is cool i, I think i said uh, at one point in my notes i said this movie could be called matt dylan is a great guy colon the movie because like everyone was just talking about how great he was for like 10 minutes was like, okay I do. I like. I, I hear you on on sort of the story structure because not only is it non-linear, but then we keep cutting back to Nicole Kidman directly addressing the camera and telling, in, he- in heaven. In yeah, heaven? and telling and like sort of detached, and you're sort of like, well, where and when is this mm-hmm. compared to everything mm-hmm. else that we're being shown? Yeah, like um, yeah, exactly. Like, why would you not have the other characters also in a space like that? Like, it, it was so strange to have her talk in that white void. And then have like the sister talk at the ice rink and the parents be on the talk show. It's like, if you're going to invent a, a, a pretense that they're on this talk show to talk about what happened, then why wouldn't you do that? You know, are you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it seems like a really inconsistent thing. Well, I think, I think like with, with the Nicole Kidman thing, like that pays off at the end. We find out why and where she is and stuff like that. I think with everybody else, it is trying to set up this idea of like, reality tv and and tv has just mm-hmm. become so pervasive mm-hmm. so like not only are the care are the parents on a talk show but the sister is being interviewed by a documentarian 
the teenagers are being interviewed mm-hmm. by you know probably a totally different sort of tv show and things like that so it's like mm-hmm. this one story not only like it's in the print media it's on tv they've made a movie and it's like just total bombardment with media and things like that mm-hmm. totally yeah and especially like it's interesting too because like her parents pretty normal like i thought that there would be some kind of weird thing about that but like i don't know unless i'm unless i'm forgetting something like they were pretty normal people yeah i think i think like you sort of nailed it at the beginning with with your quote about everybody being better on tv like the other quote that i have uh that she says is you aren't really anybody in america if you aren't on tv and so i think Mm. she just like Mm. 100% believes in this thing of if you are on tv you are a better person and you are you know you have fame you have celebrity people look up to you and so yeah yeah just like this exactly yeah just 100% buys into this philosophy of she's going to do whatever it takes to get on tv and to be famous and like you see that throughout the story like even even when she goes to work at the you know small little local channel oh with Wayne Knight Wayne Knight was so great she takes everything so seriously because like Mm -hmm, yes mm -hmm. that could have been a stepping stone who knows but like odds are it probably wouldn't have been like she probably would have been stuck there for the rest of her life but like she takes it so serious because she is like well you know I'm going to be on TV people are going to be watching me so it needs to be the best and so yeah 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 totally I, I think yeah like I think there's there's things you know that tie back to King of Comedy in that way in terms of like she sort of stage manages her whole life yeah so that when she gets on TV she is ready to go and she is prepared I think she's probably more ready than Rupert is in King Comedy like she seems to have some genuine talent whereas with Rupert it, mm-hmm. it is a bit vague if he's actually good or not mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. with her mm-hmm. like you know we see her present the weather and we see her do these you know field reports and it's sort of like yeah those are pretty good those are okay like with some more time yeah she'd probably well, i get think better. what she's yeah like what she's doing i think is like more tangible than rupert like comedy is obviously like the most subjective thing so we what i like actually about king comedy too is that we do see rupert like he does work hard on what he does right like he just won't go to the clubs and, and practice that way but he obviously is like you know in this basement like obsessing over it but with her, it's like, yeah, like if you're doing the weather, it's much easier for someone to be like, yep, you did the weather perfect. Then you can say you did a perfect comedy set. Right. So her her hard work and her preparation um, is a little, it's, I think it's a little easier for her to pay off because there's not as much competition. And I think um, two things, like one, going back to what you're talking about with her meeting with Wayne Knight in the local station, like it's funny because that's what I'm talking about. Like that's the example I want to give of her being like, smart enough that she's like yeah i want to do this i want to get my foot in the door i have all these like plans for the station like i, I can be useful this way that way like she's doing a lot of stuff that a lot of people would never even think of doing or have the guts to do to like go out and i'm gonna start from the bottom and, and you know work my way up and everything but at the same time like wayne wayne knight like mocks her for being like well, what are you doing here like this is so beneath you yeah and so it's like she's so ignorant that she knows exactly what she wants and she's so driven that she'll just make it happen but it's also like she's so ignorant about how certain things work in the world. And I think that was that's a really interesting element of her kind of mental state because you just don't know, like anything that's in her bubble, anything that actually relates to her getting what she wants, she's going to know everything about it. And you see, she just gets, you know, she's not, she doesn't care about the weather. She cares about the TV. But yeah. because she needs to know the weather to get on TV, we see her, you know, get good at that and everything. So I think it's like a really, it's really important to her character. 
And then the other thing I was going to say, like you're saying about, you know, um, she wants to be on TV and that, you know, you're nobody unless you're on there. Like, that's exactly that mentality that I'm talking about with the king of comedy where you have, you know, people are just trying to make it and, you know, and like everyone's kind of um, in the, in the group of all the autograph hounds and stuff. They're all like kind of talking down on one another and, and, you know, kind of, you know, every, everybody wants to kind of shut everyone else up and, you know, who, Oh, you think you're a big shot? Like you're nobody, who are you? You know? And everyone kind of has this like, no, 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 you're in the gutter with us kind of mentality. And um, maybe it's not that dramatic the way it comes out in real life, uh, everyday life, but I think it's really true of our society. Like, I think we have a very <laughs> hard time sometimes with people who want to kind of be loud and be big and like, we have to kind of be won over. So I think like, that's kind of really indicative of the attitude where she wants to be someone of substance and that can only happen if you're being broadcast through a screen. Yeah, I don't know. I oh oh, here's the interesting thing. The convention scene was really interesting. Well, so I was I was gonna bring that up when you're talking there about, you know, she is so intelligent on certain aspects, but then so ignorant mm-hmm. on others because yeah. you know she obviously chose this city in Florida. Like I don't know what city they are in Florida for their honeymoon, right? right. Because she knows the convention is happening, but then when she mm-hmm. gets in there and is presented with this, you know, in, in 2022 terms this me too moment she Mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. no idea what's happening and is so clueless as to what this guy is implying and getting at and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. the movie doesn't necessarily show us everything but i think it implies what what might have happened with uh Mm -hmm. with her and this this older broadcaster but yeah yeah i think i think that's like perfectly what you're saying there in terms of like her 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 character nicole kimmins character is so intelligent and so driven in certain aspects of her life but so ignorant in others that you know it does put her in situations that she probably can't handle and it helps yeah and it helps the movie because i think like if, if she was this kind of calculating you know manipulative person through the whole movie like she has those moments obviously but you know if she was doing that the whole movie you know, we wouldn't be afraid for her with this guy at the convention. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think that, oh, she's making a mistake. Like this guy's a creep or whatever. So I think it's, I think it's important that we get reminded that she really is just kind of an obsessed person and is, you know, um, driven in a very um, almost innocent way where she's just trying to make her dreams come true. And obviously she lacks the perception of like how she could be harming others or whatever. Like, in the pursuit of those goals so i don't know i think yeah i think it's like it's really really interesting to have that brought up because i think it helps us um kind of in a similar way we we're talking about the last movie like just maintaining our sort of our judgment of her and kind of preventing us from being like oh she just wormed her way into this job and then she, oh then she must have killed her husband like it gives us pause to be like oh okay hold on a second like this genuinely freaked her out that this guy came onto her in this way and like i think if she was someone who was like down to like kill her husband at the drop of a hat then feel like she wouldn't take that you know as easily yeah no exactly i i I think um like it it might not have completely worked for you the whole time but that for me is why the scenes of her directly talking to camera are also important because like that is a hundred percent the movie manipulating us like it is giving this person that we know to be calculating and know to be manipulative and you know we might have some sympathy for her in certain aspects and, and whatnot, but it's giving mm-hmm. her a moment to directly tell her story to us, the audience. And like, you yeah. can't help, but sort of see things on her side. Like 
you were saying like Matt Dillon's character wants to have a family, wants to have a baby, but we repeatedly see her tell him like, she's not interested in that. And so when he keeps going on about it, you can't help, but sort of be like, well, she's told you she's not interested Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're, you're still going on. You're still going on. You're still going on. And so those scenes of her talking directly to camera, I think are like so important in terms of manipulating us to get us on her side, but also to be like, you know, she's now got a moment to, to tell her story, to, to, to walk us through her version of the events. Yeah, for sure. And I think another example of her kind of being naive or ignorant or whatever to, to the way some things work is like her tapping the, um, (laughs) no pun intended, her tapping the teenagers, uh, (laughs) to, (laughs) to, uh, to do the, the sort of like the, the, the voice of the youth sort of broadcasting thing she wants to do. Like, everyone's kind of like, well, there are no, like, they're not exactly like Mensa, like they're not these geniuses. So it's interesting, you know, obviously she wanted all the students to sign up, but she's so, um, she has such optimism and such um, enthusiasm for whatever she can get, right? So you're like, oh, great, people want to, these students want to sign up for my club, let's do it, you know? And she's she's being so, um, she has such a good attitude about it. I think that's what really makes it work, right? Like, um, I think like, you know, having, it's it's similar almost to the De Niro character where they they have this confidence where they're just like, yep, like things, it might be the lowest form of the gig, but I am here and I'm going to do it professionally. And like, um, there's almost an element of like, uh, if you know Parks and Rec, if you know like uh, Amy Poehler's character, like Leslie No, she almost has a streak of that in terms of that, like the over-preparation and the, the kind of like the, the eagerness to please right well i think it is totally that like somebody somewhere might see this and you know mm-hmm. my life could change so it better be mm-hmm. the best that it possibly could be so yeah, yeah. no I, I completely agree yeah but yeah i don't know i thought the cast was great in this movie like i thought like you know it's just one of those movies that you just loaded up with all these great character actors i have to say the thing i um the thing that i made sure to write down was that during the funeral scene, we see Kurtwood Smith wear these little sunglasses and it looks crazy with his big head. He's in this black suit. And I just realized that we really missed out on having him be an agent in the Matrix. Oh. <laughs> Kurt, Kurtwood Smith as an agent would have been amazing, but it was just like, he has these awesome little round sunglasses, this weird, big <laughs> Kurtwood Smith head. It's great. I have to load up that scene again and go back and, yeah, and take a second it. look. He's at got that, a so. he's got a great look. He's got a great look in that scene. The um, um the 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 last thing I have here is it's more just you know for fun or whatever. But you were talking mm-hmm. earlier about the the mob connection with with Dylan's family and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The the guy at the end of the movie, David Cronenberg, like you know Canada represent. Oh, was that Cronenberg? Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. I missed on that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Because it's so funny. I think they oh. fil- I think they filmed it up here. And so he just like was around. Oh. And so him and, oh. him and Van Zandt, I think, was just sort of like, do you just want to come in and do oh. five minutes one day? And he that's was like, Yeah, great. Sure. So oh, I, I, that's fantastic. I just singled it out because the the episode I just recorded with Mark, we we sort of go down the rabbit hole of Cronenberg and whatnot. So I was like, Oh, there right, he is right, again, right. popping up all well, the time. Um, I have, I think I have at least two more things I want to talk about. One, I do it. want to, let's, t- let's touch on that. Let's touch on the mafia thing. So like <laughs> the sister skating on the ice, she obviously she knows the corpse is underneath the ice, right? Yeah. You know that she's, she's cele- celebrating. I just think it's like, I just think it's funny that mob element that just comes in there. But like, I think, um, I think it's really interesting 
to see that be the ending because it's it is such a comedic ending in that way and it's obviously very dark or whatever but it's comedic like how much of this movie is a comedy to you because i found that like there are some moments where there it was like expressly comedic and then because it was kind of inconsistent i just didn't know whether i was missing like maybe it just wasn't vibing with me or something but like how much of a comedy would you say this is dark or otherwise so, yeah, I would definitely say that this is sort of a more true black comedy, um, especially more so than King of Comedy. I think like King of Comedy. Really? Yeah, I think King of Comedy is like actually very funny. And whether or not it's it's a black comedy or whatnot, you can, you know, that'll be for everybody's own judgments. But like there are things right. in King of Comedy where just like, no, that is clearly a joke. Like when they're doing the cue card scenes or whatever, it's like, no, okay. they know what yeah. they know what yeah, they're yeah. doing. Oh, they're, they are making jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for me, like that is just a comedy. Whereas to die for is definitely a black comedy. And it's it's the comedic elements are in like sort of how heightened everything is. And mm. I, I think, you know, if you want to talk about Gus Van Zandt at all or whatnot, like it's quite interesting that he went from, you know, this, which is like quite heightened and and you know, almost mm-hmm. garish to certain points. Mm-hmm. And then, like, mm-hmm. the next thing he goes and makes down the line in a couple of years is Good Will Hunting, which is, like, very Good Will Hunting, yeah. But, I think that's probably the only movie of his I've seen before this, too. Oh, okay. I don't know. Like, what, what other ones? Maybe I have, but can you, can you um, well, like, he did, like the, right now? His, his other big ones would be, like, sort of, like, uh, Drugstore Cowboy and, and uh, My Own Private Idaho. Um, oh, okay. No, I haven't he, seen those. He did I know milk, of them, but. He did Milk a few years ago the, about uh, Harvey oh, he milk. Did milk. Yeah. Right. So he he kind of, you know, he comes in and out of, you know, he does yeah. sort of studio stuff and then he'll go make tiny, tiny, tiny independent mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. that, you know, he probably self-finances. Yeah. But uh, he's an interesting, an interesting character, that's for sure. But yes, I, I do think with with King of Comedy, I am just laughing at jokes. With this one, I'm sort of laughing mm-hmm. at sort of like almost that little bit of uncomfortableness where it's sort of like it's mm-hmm. making me squirm a little bit and that's what's making me yeah. laugh. Um, oh, okay. I think I have both of those elements. Both of those elements for me um, show up in King and Comedy. For this one, I just felt that it wasn't committing enough to being a comedy. Like, I didn't, it's not that I need jokes every second or anything, but I just felt that, like, sometimes, like, I think that's why I got the fever dream vibe, because sometimes it was like, oh, okay, they're playing this for last. But then other times it was trying to be, like, too serious. Okay. And I understand, like, there is a, there is something to be said about, like, oh, now we're going to make the twist and now it's going to become really dark. But because of the way they were telling it, especially because I found some of the most comedic moments to be the talking heads when people were, were, were explaining stuff, especially Wayne Knight was really funny. I love Wayne Knight as an actor. He's really good. <laughs> he's, he's honestly though, he's more than Newman. He's, he's really great. And, um, and he's just, you know, he's like incredulous about like why she'd want to work there and they're laughing at her and things like that. Like I thought those moments were great. And like you said, like it's less about the lines. It's more about the situation and just the way that everything is working out. But I felt, I felt like because the, the jump around and the time was happening, I felt like in the different moments in time, there was just these different energies that kind of made it kind of chaotic for me and inconsistent. Like I felt like when you want to do comedy, even if you're showing a very different scene or a very different character or a very different um, bit of action happening on the screen or whatever, there's still like this consistent voice and tone that you you have in, 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 a, in a kind of like a full on comedy. And so I think the problem is like they were deciding like they're picking, choosing these moments to be like, oh, now it's going to be a, like a comedic moment. And like to me, that kind of works like if this were a play, because you need that break in tension, you need the comedic relief where 
because of the way this is shot and because you can do these sorts of transitions immediately because you're editing a film as opposed to you know changing a set on a stage or changing the lighting or whatever however you want to rig it up on stage like you just end up with a really inconsistent tone so like i thought the i thought the movie was pretty good i don't think the movie is bad but i just think that like for me there's something inconsistent in the way it approaches its comedy like it couldn't figure out the way it wanted to be funny it was kind of just trying a little bits of different things throughout and it just didn't really like connect stylistically Right. Yeah, I, I hear know. you. I hear. You. I think it, yeah. like some of that is definitely. I think comes out of the way things are presented. So like when it is, um, sort of the documentary crew, and like it's mostly the documentary crew around the mm-hmm. talking heads or around the, the mm-hmm. the teenagers. When we see that, like those are definitely more realistic, and maybe that's because they're presenting it as a documentary. Whereas, the scenes where it seems to be a flashback or you know we're seeing the mm-hmm. events as they unfold. Like those seem to be a bit more manic than, yeah. than the other scenes. So I, I, I get that. I hear what you're saying about sort of the inconsistencies in tone and things like that. Yeah. It just, it's just because the, the changes are so abrupt and so stark that if you don't have, to me, if you don't have that cohesive vibe in terms of how you're going to tell the jokes, you know, it's like having a different comedian in every scene and you're trying to call it one stand-up set. Like it just doesn't flow. Right. So I just thought that they could have done a, a could have done a better job of just trying to find the comedic beats more consistently and like not trying different things. The last thing I want to talk about, because we actually haven't talked about this at all, and I'm kind of glad that we didn't just because I want to give it special attention. The element of the teenagers, we have to talk about this for a little bit because like they're just like the performances are fantastic, I think. Yeah. I think they really like Joaquin Phoenix. How old is he in this movie? Oh, I could look that up real quick here. Uh, yeah, please do. Just, please yeah, do. yeah, keep go, keep going. I'll bamf. I can bamf. Yeah, no silence on this thing. It's it really is. Um, it really really is a great element because, like I said, like you know, it expands the the idea of study a character study and and someone being kind of obsessed or deluded or whatever, however we want to describe it. Now there's like five of them and they're all deluded or obsessed with something different. And so I think it's really cool because Nicole Kidman, you know, wants to be this person who's at the center of attention. And when she gets it, like she's, she's aware, you know, we talk about she's not aware of certain things. She is aware that she can use these kids to further what she needs. So we can see that her ambitions are bigger than just someone paying attention to her. So, you know, obviously her husband isn't paying the right attention to her because he isn't recognizing she wants a career. Sure. But, you know, just having these kids be interested in her is like exciting for her, but she's well aware that that is not where she wants to stop. She wants to just use them as a stepping stone and, and whatever. And I think she likes the idea of being looked up to. And so, yeah, I just thought it was really interesting to have that element because when we find out they're the ones who killed Matt Dillon, it takes on all these other, you know, this kind of like this other dynamic, this, this kind of depth of story. Cause then you're like, wow, she manipulated these high school kids. And then she is also kind of really smart. She's like, well, I never said to kill him, and, but you told him to, no, I didn't. I, you know, she has this whole plan and like, you know, we talk about she's sometimes she's behind everyone else in terms of what's going on, but then because she wanted to do this, she prepared and like, you know, consistent with her character. She's like ready to just execute this plan. She's like, yep, you guys do this. We're not going to talk to each other. Like she's so ready to, to follow through with this once she decides to, and she's so competent in a way at it. It's pretty remarkable. Right. And then obviously they all know that she's behind it or whatever, but it's, um, it's a great element to the story. I know that like, you know, you've told me now that it's based on a true story, but I just thought like the kids really sell it because 
they they're just so interesting because it's just such a weird element to it and then obviously it gets pretty problematic in a lot of ways but um do you know did you were able to see how old he is yeah so i've got uh joaquin phoenix was probably 20 when he filmed this movie oh wow okay. casey yeah. affleck was 19 we'll, we'll say oh, give or take wow. and then yeah, yeah. Al- allison foland who plays lydia was 16 she was great yeah yeah she um, was pretty fantastic yeah. Like, yeah. especially like I have no sort of, I'm, I'm sure I've seen other things that she is in, but with Phoenix mm-hmm. and Affleck, we obviously then have, you know, 25 years of them making movies that we've all seen. Or, well, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, like he's so um, recognizable, right? Like you can't help but notice that, oh, it's a movie star, but he's young. And so the, yeah, the fact that she stands out still is, is a testament to the performance. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think like you, you're completely right in terms of like when she, gets these three teenagers to to do the filming to do this program that she wants to do and she sees the effect that just like her presence has on them i feel like you know that is part of this drug for her in terms of like oh they're looking up to me they're like you know i could be a mentor Mm -hmm. to lydia like Mm -hmm. these two guys are probably idolizing me they're probably fantasizing about me like that to her is part of this celebrity drug that she is yeah wants to chase so badly and then obviously when things happen in the movie and she knows immediately well i've got these three kids in my back pocket they would do Mm -hmm. anything for me and you know she exploits that to to the tragic end of her husband yeah well i think like yeah like i think you know we talked about it like there's a long um there's a lot of like things that kind of keep us kind of interested in in her side of things and like you kind of you know, you're obviously being teased a little bit into being like, well, she must have just killed him. Like, you know, and you, you know, we know better than that. We know that there's going to be a more interesting explanation. So because of that, you kind of give her a bit of slack. You're like, hey, she's obviously a strange person. But like, for the most part, like, especially at the start, like, she's just the kind of really obsessed person. She isn't like, you know, she didn't go straight to murder. So I think for a while, it's, um, it's plausible that you're like, going to end up liking her. But then it's so cool, because like, yeah, we see her get a little bit of power. And then when she wants to wield it, like she wields it ruthlessly and like, not just to order the hiring of the, or like to order the the killing, but also like, you know, uh, if you recall like the moment where she's like, she just goes on the giant, like homophobic rant against, um, I forget her name, but the, the, the girl character, the girl burnout. Uh, No, you're like, you're like a lesbian anyway. And like, you want to sleep with me. And, and it's like, so um, it's just so cruel because you can tell that like, you know, I don't know. It's hard because it's hard to tell whether she's just calling her a lesbian, like because she would like fit a stereotype in the way she looks, or if like um, we were generally supposed to get the vibe or not. You know what I mean? Because I, the thing is, like for me, the character saying that is just someone just saying something to be nasty. Like yeah. I don't think that Nicole Kidman's character like is anti-gay, but I think it's still of the time to call someone gay is an insult. But the takeaway for that for me is just the idea that. Like, you know, that would obviously be something that this student is very vulnerable about or insecure about, or maybe they're not out of the closet. So for her to like throw that out, whether it's true or not, or whatever, like, you know, is very hurtful. And so it's like, you know, we kind of see her be driven and we kind of see her be, you know, um, insensitive because she's so focused on what she wants to do. But ultimately it's just, it's really interesting when she gets power, how she changes and, and just the kind of um, the dark side that we eventually see at the very end. I think they hold off on that, the darkest parts of her until the very end. And I think it's really good. Completely agree. So last question I have for you then 
is you you you've already said like you sort of enjoyed to die for there's there's elements that you didn't necessarily you know like or that didn't work for you completely but mm. in terms of a recommendation was it successful i think so i think it was a good recommendation like um i think especially for the exercise we're doing with this podcast to watch it after king comedy was great because it was easy to see where the two movies were going to overlap but yeah i thought it was interesting I, it was cool to see another gus van sant movie um nicole kidman was really good in it too i thought she was really good i thought um like I said, I thought the cast was really strong. The only problem I had was just the structure because I thought it just kind of overcomplicated things and it created problems um, in the tone, like I said, because I couldn't really tell, is this a full-on comedy? Is this not? And sometimes movies have that vibe, but like, you know, a Get Out had that vibe, but it's for totally different reasons, you know? So um, yeah, ultimately I would say successful. Next time, next time you're on the pod, I, I will, you know, pick a movie that's a bit more linear maybe a bit more consistent so we'll, we'll, <laughs> oh, we'll whatever we'll get, give, me, give me the weirdest thing you got we'll, we'll we'll get it on the next one we'll get it on the next time tom thank you very much Fantastic. for for coming on and talking movies uh absolute pleasure thank you uh anyone out there for listening this was new favorite movie i will be back next week with another guest another movie and another recommendation i'll see you all next week